Hi, welcome to the Romance Me Podcast. This is Erica. And I'm M, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Icy Hot should never, ever go there. Ever. I feel like that's really suitable for this book. Yeah. I'm not sure what the context is, but... Oh, you know, there's there's tender places. (laughs) Sensitive areas. Today we'll be discussing Killing Sarai by J.A. Redmersky. For nine years, Sarai was trained to be arm candy in public and a sex toy in bed. At 23, she meets Victor, who she uses to escape her captivity. Unbeknownst to her, he has his own history of abuse and grooming. They begin to develop romantic feelings for each other as they navigate the dangerous world of sex trade and hired assassins. There will be spoilers beyond this point, and we have content warnings for sex trafficking, sex slavery, sexual assault and rape, child slavery, and possible implications of child rape. Well, on that very cheery note, (laughs) what is Sarai's situation when we first meet her? Because I can't imagine it's terribly heartwarming (laughs) no and all right let me just let it out right now all laughing is probably going to be uncomfortable defense mechanism laughing yeah yeah not actually funny laughing no um just putting that out there uh (laughs) just no so sarai's mom was a drug user um possibly seller i'm not sure And she ended up hooking up with this man named Javier, who turned out to be a drug lord from Mexico. Javier developed an unhealthy obsession with Sarai. And when Sarai turned 14, her mom gives Sarai to Javier. Javier has a, quote, harem of female slaves. But Sarai is his favorite. He thinks he's in love with her. She says arm candy if he goes to meetings or things like that. It's gross. It's really, really gross. Yeah, she is 14 when her mother does this. Yep. And then her mother fucks off. Yep. Stellar, <laughs> stellar parenthood there. <sighs> Anyways, that's nine years ago. So now Sarai is in her early 20s and she's seeking escape. She's been living on this compound in Mexico. She's not exactly sure where in Mexico. She's befriended another of Javier's girls, slaves, whatever, named Lydia. She kind of feels like a big sister sort of role toward Lydia, I think. Yeah. And she has plans to take her with with her when she escapes. In preparation for this escape, she's stolen a gun that she's hidden, and she's just waiting for opportunity at this point. So when the story opens, she is eavesdropping on a meeting that Javier is having with an American man. Sarai is super excited. This is an American that Javier is talking to because she feels like she will have a greater chance of getting that person on her side. Which sort of flies in the face of what she's experienced so far because she has met American men that she would not have put her trust in. Yeah. I'm not sure if she's just reached a breaking point and was like, screw it, I'll trust him. Or if there's that, there's something about him. I don't know if it's like that necessarily, as it's more of a thing where he's obviously not on Javier's side. Mm. He's his own entity. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas the other Americans that she's met with Javier have been Javier's type of people. Yeah, and they're more like sycophants. Whereas this American is a hired hitman. Javier is hiring him to kill someone else. He's an outsider. This would be an assumption on Sarai's part, but he's not necessarily in the whole drug trade, sex trafficking thing. Yes. And I think she is at her breaking point. You know, she's been a a slave for nine years. She's lost a large part of her childhood, all of her adulthood up to this point. Yeah, being, if not sexually assaulted in some way, definitely sexualized. I mean, she is sexually used by Javier, and she's at the point in her mind, she doesn't necessarily see it as rape. Mm. She lets him, and she doesn't see it as rape. Yeah, because she lets him, like she has a choice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's it's gross. She is eavesdropping on this conversation. She's excited because it's an American, an outsider, and she plans to escape from her room with Lydia, somehow elude the guards, and hitch a ride back to the States with this American. Lydia, however, refuses to go. She's too scared to do all that. (laughs) Yeah, she's more worried about the consequences because she's not his favorite. Yeah, well, there's that. And also, I think Sarai has like thoughts that Lydia is maybe has maybe been broken, like how you would break a horse. Yeah. Where Sarai apparently hasn't been or if she has, it's been in a different way. Yeah. But she's not loyal to Javier. No. So she tells Lydia, okay, well, you need to pretend you're asleep so that they don't know you had anything to do with this. And she escapes out the window. I think she eludes most of the guards, one of them, by the entry to the compound. She ends up beating over the head with the butt of her stolen gun. And then she steals his gun and hides in the American's car. It's a really nice looking car, too. Yay. So she's hiding in there, but immediately, once the American leaves the compound and gets in his car, he knows she's there. Of course. Because he can smell her. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so oftentimes (laughs) heroes seem to have like this preternatural ability (laughs) to just know things. Mm -hmm. But it made sense to me for this because he smells her and she probably doesn't smell very good. Although I think he treats her like she's allowed to shower and stuff, right? I mean, she actually... Not all the time. That's like a luxury. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. For some reason, I was thinking it was more often than luxury. No, she's wearing like nasty clothes and she's like got BO. She's not allowed to wear deodorant or doesn't have deodorant. Yeah, that makes more sense. It was believable to me. (laughs) He knows she's there. So she stops hiding. She points her gun at him and she's like... You need to take me out of here. He starts driving, but she realizes pretty soon that he's just driving in circles. (laughs) (laughs) Hamster wheel. Okay, so we do get points in the story where we're in his head, but for a long point at the beginning of the book, we're not in his head at all. And I was kind of wondering if we were going to get to be in his head. Yeah. I kind of wish we never were in his head. Yeah, me too. The way Sarai seems to see him... Is that he's just blank, very deadpan. He doesn't let anything show. He doesn't have vocal inflections, anything like that. He doesn't seem bothered at being helped at gunpoint. He still has the appearance of being in control, even though she's holding a gun to his head, making him drive. Mm -hmm. 
He tells her he's not going to take her back to the U.S. because that would have her in the car longer than he would prefer. She starts giving him directions, even though she has no idea where they're going. You know, turn left here, turn right there. So she's driving them in a circle. No, that's after she That's after she notices they're going in circles. Oh, okay. She starts giving him directions. Okay. That's to prevent the circle. <laughs> All right. Eventually she gets tired. And as she's slowly dozing, he hits her over the head, knocks her out. When she wakes up, she's tied up in a hotel room. A crappy room, presumably still in Mexico. He tells her that he had drugged her after he knocked her out to keep her asleep. And he offers to drug her again because he called Javier and he sent people to come get her. And he thought she'd like to be asleep during all that. (laughs) Sarai feels betrayed. I don't even know if Sarai feels trapped. I would say betrayed, but she really... She doesn't know him. Yeah, and she didn't get any agreement from him that he was going to help her. I mean, she might be shocked. She might be put out in a very extreme sense. But I mean, betrayal would be sort of odd to me. But she just takes him at his word that he is going to sell her out. But then he cuts off the bindings on her legs and walks her into the bathroom and has her hide in the bathtub. And she's very confused. She doesn't know what's going on. Like, why am I hiding in the bathtub right now? I, <laughs> I thought you were giving me back. Javier's guys arrive along with Javier's sister, Izel. Izel is not a nice person at all. She's kind of Javier's second-in-command-ish. Very-ish. I think he just entrusts her with certain errands. She's his voice in certain certain circumstances. Yeah. Of course, he lets her handle the girls because he wouldn't let presumably a heterosexual male be in charge of the girls. Oh, well, that's another fun plot point. Early on in the story, we get like a little brief moment where Sarai thinks about Javier's brother who had tried to rape her at one point. Mm-hmm. Javier didn't kill the brother, but he completely castrated him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how to feel about that. <laughs> yeah. So Izal is in charge of the girls now, apparently. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> There's a whole shootout scene. Sarai is really confused and worried. Did the American get killed or whatever? But then we find out that the American is now questioning Izal. He states that he now knows that Javier had no intention of following through on the contract they had because otherwise why would his men shoot at him Hazel mm-hmm. is just still trying to get Sarai back but she's also like well yeah he's definitely not going to follow through now you know <laughs> <laughs> and then the American says he plans to use Sarai as leverage so he's not going to give her back until after he completes the hit that he was hired for and then he'll trade her for the rest of the money he's owed Sarai <laughs> believes this I'm sorry. Because why wouldn't she? Maybe it's just me. Does he not seem like a very smart assassin? See, that's the thing. Like, (laughs) as the story progresses, I feel like you learn that he's been, he's playing different people off of each Uh other. I don't think he's like brilliant or whatever, but he definitely has like a method to his madness. (laughs) But at this point in time, yeah, why is he? I I don't know. Going, oh, wow. Okay, so somebody wants to shoot at me. Yeah, I, I see that as an okay working relationship. <laughs> I accept those terms. Wait, what? 
Yeah, well... Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. All right. The American retrieves Sarai, and they tie up Izal and leave. And then we find out the American had left his phone there so he could eavesdrop on what happened after they left. But he doesn't get very good intel from that. Just, yeah, no, we didn't succeed. Sorry, Javier. <laughs> <laughs> They're driving for hours. Sarai finally says, I'm hungry. Feed me. Feed me, Seymour. <laughs> he keeps acting like he doesn't give a shit, but then he stops at a gas station type place and brings her inside and buys her food. He gives her some info. He says his name is Victor. He tells her some backstory, but I think it's all fake. She says she has to go to the bathroom. He accompanies her to the bathroom. It's disgusting. She sits on the toilet anyway, which I guess just goes to show how hard up she's been this whole time. Because yeah. I wouldn't sit on the toilet. Employ hovering method. <laughs> yeah. Ew. And then some other people arrive. This makes Victor kind of go on the alert. So he leaves her alone in the bathroom, telling her to stay in there. There's some talking. Sarai gets tired of waiting, so she peeks out there and she doesn't recognize any of the people, so she figures it's not anyone from Javier's employ and comes out and pretends like she's some snotty tourist, but she just draws attention to them and Victor ends up killing everyone in the <laughs> building, including the owner who was working there. And then they steal uh, one of the people's trucks and drive off. Victor says that... She has no way of knowing whether those guys were working for Javier or not, because she remembers everyone she's seen, but that doesn't mean she's seen everyone. True. And he also says something like, yeah, they were talking in code about some part that doesn't belong in a truck, and the guy said he had one, and so that's why he killed everyone. We'll just assume that all of them are bad. Victor just kills people? <laughs> like, I don't know. He just, he kills a lot of people. There's a lot of killing in this book. A lot of killing. Would you enjoy a tangent? Yes, please. Tangentify. <laughs> I'm fairly certain we've mentioned this movie before, but like a million years ago when True Lies came out, I feel like Victor is like Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Yeah, I killed them, but they were all bad. Just trust me that they were all bad. Yeah. Plus, as a disturbing add-on, which at the time I felt was disturbing, and I still think it's super disturbing all these years later... Do you remember the car salesman guy that Jamie Lee Curtis's character yeah. is, like, temporarily with? Yeah, he pretends he's an undercover agent right. or something. the fake spy. And so Arnold and the fake spy are, like, driving around. Yeah. I think he's actually talking about uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character when he says this. But he says that she has an ass like a 10-year-old boy. Yes, ew. And I'm sitting there going, how many 10-year-old boys' asses do you look at? To be able to make that comparison. Because I feel yeah, disturbed. Yeah, no, that is a really disturbing comment. Yeah. It's always just really fucking grossed me out. I feel in a weird way it's appropriate to bring up with this story. <laughs> in a weird way, I feel like well, it works. Honestly, though, the way um, Arnold's character acts with the car salesman guy is really messed up anyways. Yeah. He totally abuses his power and position to give this guy a bad time because he's been hitting on his yes. wife. It's, yeah. I love he's a pedophile. <laughs> yeah, I just remember oh, being sitting there as a kid going like, but wait, <laughs> like, <laughs> this doesn't make sense to me. And of course, I'm not going to ask an adult like, what the fuck? 
Like, <laughs> you know, with the whole Me Too movement, I kind of wonder, like, who put that line in there? I'm just... Yeah, I was hoping for a happy tangent, but apparently not. <laughs> All right. Not likely with this story. <laughs> I had hopes. <laughs> Uh, moving on, they end up driving back to the U.S. They make it to Arizona. Sarai briefly escapes and runs away. She goes and asks a woman on the street for help, but then she sees that Victor is possibly going to shoot this woman. <laughs> so she's like, haha, I was just doing a prank or something. Bye. And then she goes back to Victor. It's around this point in the story that we get to start being in, in Victor's head a little bit. Oh, goody. For Victor's backstory, he was, quote, recruited, unquote, <laughs> at the age of nine to be part of this group called The Order, which we don't even know. Like, we don't learn anything about The Order, aside from the fact that his boss is named Vonnegut and they First kill people. <laughs> it really bothered me that his boss was named Vonnegut for that reason. <laughs> as yeah. soon as I was like, oh, Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, no. My brain couldn't separate it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I couldn't either. His half-brother, Nicholas, is also in the order. He was, quote, recruited at the age of seven. Nicholas is his handler. The order doesn't necessarily know that they're half-brothers. They didn't know at first. They discovered it later. Surprise! Yeah, they probably go into more of that in the later books. Probably. Nicholas has totally drunk the Kool-Aid. Like, he is all in. The Order wouldn't like that you're doing this, Victor. Why are you doing these things that the Order wouldn't like? I think Victor, he feels stuck. That's the impression I got. He feels like, well, I can't get out. Yeah. To use a terrible analogy, but he's like the quarterback that realizes, oh, fuck, I peaked. That's sort of what it feels like. Yeah, he's he's excellent at what he does. He's very trusted, high up in the esteem of the leadership. And their father. Yeah. He's the favorite son, so to speak. But he, I don't know, like so many heroes, he's like, no, I don't want the accolades. <laughs> I just want to do my own thing. But I can't because I'm trapped. Although he is very trapped. So got to give him that, I guess. And he's been groomed from a very young age to be an assassin, to be part of this order. So he's not a very mentally healthy person either no he has issues and he's struggling with this relationship with sarai she's inserted herself into his life said help me she doesn't fit she's like this puzzle piece that has just kind of crammed itself into the wrong puzzle <laughs> and he's like i can't make it fit i can't make it fit and he's like moving pieces around and it's just not working he doesn't really feel his feelings either he doesn't really access that part of himself no. he's very confused i think also and so a lot of his actions he's just falling back on what he knows kind of muscle memory sort of thing not that i'm making excuses for him i think he does some really despicable stuff like the thing he does next which is he and sarai stay in a hotel room he has some intel from the order and they send him a video of lydia getting beat up and it's this video that's meant to be shown to Sarai, and he lets Sarai see it. <laughs> yeah. That that kind of thing. With no preamble or anything. He's just like, okay, here. <laughs> here you go. 
on one hand, I like that he showed her, because I hate the whole patronizing, I'm keeping this away from you for your own good kind of thing. But yeah, the lack of preamble yeah. was like, dude, were you not socialites? Oh, wait. Yeah. Killer. Okay. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. So for him, like, that's just so normal that he doesn't think about it, which is telling. He knows she won't like it, but he, you know. You can know someone's not going to like something, but then not understand the degree to which they don't like it. He ends up making a deal with Javier to trade Sarai for Guzman's daughter. Now, Guzman is the guy that Javier had hired Victor to kill initially. Guzman's daughter is recently captured and is now part of Javier's harem. We learn later that Guzman has also hired him to, I don't know if kill Javier, but to definitely get his daughter back. So you learn that Victor's kind of playing these two against each other a bit. Maybe I just missed it. But who is Guzman's daughter? Cordelia. Because I was sitting there going like, but wait, which one is it? It either wasn't clear or (laughs) I wasn't paying attention. There's a lot that happens in this book that kind of seems to happen off page. And then we just learn little snippets Mm -hmm. of it. So there's a lot of little pieces that get thrown out. And then later you're like, oh, that's what the author meant when they put that there 50 pages ago. Yeah. So if you're not keeping up with that, (laughs) things might fall through the cracks. (laughs) And there's this whole issue, too, because Victor went to meet with Javier. Typically, that doesn't happen in the order. It all happens through the higher ups, and then these jobs get handed down to him, which I think is how he got hired to handle Guzman's daughter. But anyway, Victor makes a deal with Javier. He's going to trade Sarai for Guzman's daughter, and Victor's brother Nicholas is helping him with this. They take Sarai out to wherever they're going to do this handoff. Izel is there. There are two girls with them, Lydia and Cordelia. Presumably they bring Lydia there as some sort of leverage over Sarai, I guess. Yeah, that's what I assumed, but then I was confused. Sarai this whole time is thinking that this is actually going to happen, like she's getting traded. But she's also happy that Lydia is going to get out. So she's kind of okay with it in a gross, sick way, because she has this, like I said, like a big sister-y sort of feeling toward Lydia. I think she's just looking for the silver lining, because she hasn't figured (laughs) Victor out. Like, she doesn't know, is Victor really on my side? Yeah, and Victor doesn't help her with that at all. No. Like... (laughs) Either because he hasn't figured it out or because, I don't know, he thinks people can read his mind or he just doesn't give enough of a shit. Who knows? He doesn't communicate very well. No. So (laughs) it makes sense that she's like going, it's fine. I've endured this once. I can endure this again. At least Lydia got out. Here's my silver lining. I can try again later. You know what I mean? Like, I can understand being in that mindset in that situation. Where you feel like you have no control because she... But it turns out that Victor had never planned to actually trade her. So the girls get kind of set over. They meet in the middle and then they're told, no, go go get back in the car. Get back in the car. And so Sarai hustles the girls back in the car and tries to protect them. Lydia gets shot and killed. This is Oops. a big moment. Really fucks Sarai up. Victor ends up shooting Izel through the forehead so she's dead now (laughs) but we're kind of happy about that unfortunately though they have to leave lydia's body there they can't take it with them i don't know 
So they drive away. Yay. We get some more like back and forth between Victor and Nicholas. Nicholas is like, you are being unstable. They're going to eliminate you because they eliminate the unstable ones. Nicholas is worried that Victor has some sort of feelings or ulterior motive regarding Sarai. I don't really know where he picks up on that because Victor hasn't at this point, but maybe Nicholas is just more tuned in on that stuff than Victor is. That usually happens in romances, right? (laughs) The buddy of the hero or whoever or heroine is usually like, I see what you don't see yet. You have the feels. I think this is just- That's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> along the same lines as that no you're, you're right you're the barest flicker of emotion i can tell <laughs> you have feelings <laughs> so the fact that you haven't killed this girl yet lets me know that you have something going on around her <laughs> something is amiss <laughs> sarai at one point points out to victor that every time you talk to nicholas you're lying to him i can hear it in your voice sarai kind of has like this innate lie detecting sense or something because she's used to dealing with Javier and she's learned how to pick up on certain cues apparently. Well and he's lied to her before or been a little bit deceptive with her before up into this point and so she may just be really good at looking at those cues and micro expressions or something. I don't know. Yeah she's really tuned in to Victor at this point. Okay, well, I can tell when you're lying and when you're not. Well, shit, that's inconvenient. (laughs) I don't really know what happens with Cordelia. I don't remember. She goes Um, away. She's, (laughs) yeah, she's gone now. Hopefully back home where she's safe. Maybe she shows up later in the series. But right now, for the rest of this story, she has no purpose. (laughs) Victor tells, (laughs) Victor tells Sarai, I'm going to take you home. (laughs) Drives her back to her trailer park where she lived with her mother and drops her off in front of her neighbor's house. He lifts her some money like, here, kid, have a good life. Yeah, he gives her like like an obscene amount of money. And then he deposits her in front of Mrs. Gregory's house. Sarai has really good memories about Mrs. Gregory. I think that was her real mother figure as much as she had one. Mrs. Gregory took care of her while her own mom was drugged out, hooking up with the wrong crowd. But Mrs. Gregory doesn't live there anymore. (laughs) And so Sarai is just kind of, well, fuck, (laughs) wandering around, crying. She drops the money on the ground because she doesn't care. Like, well, and I think it hits her too. Like, she realizes they weren't that far into Mexico. Like, she's been relatively close to where she used to live this whole time. Yeah, there's that. And then there's also the fact that that's nice that she has money and all, but she can't really do anything with her life right now. She has no papers. She has no evidence of who she is. Yeah. Even. How is she going to get a job? How is she going to do anything? <laughs> she doesn't know how to do all that stuff because she got left in Mexico when she was 14. Yeah. She doesn't know how to adult at all. She's one of those people who slipped through the cracks. If Victor truly left her there on her own, she might as well just be dead. Yes. Very optimistic thinking. You're welcome. (laughs) Between my tangents and your... (laughs) True, though, right? True. It is true. No, and it makes sense for her character to feel very despondent and all that jazz at that moment. 
It makes sense. I mean, she's had a life of captivity. She has been released into the wild with this good luck, here's some money, as if that solves everything. Yep. And she's just like, uh... (laughs) It makes sense. Yeah, and she is no one. Literally no one. Because the only person she did have was this Mrs. Gregory, who doesn't live there anymore. Yeah, and I think she also had a friend at one point, but who the hell knows who that is? She doesn't have anyone. Luckily slash unluckily for her, (laughs) Victor didn't actually just fuck off. He left her there and then went off to watch to see what would happen. (laughs) Let's see what happens when she's reintroduced to the wild. I'll just stand over (laughs) and stare. No, it's because he figured out she had a tracker. Or he suspected. (laughs) So I'll just leave her as bait. Yeah, because Javier's (laughs) people seem to find them awfully easily. So he comes back and he gets her. He rescues her and digs the tracker out of her. It's just so gross. Okay, so I'm curious. Did Javier actually show up at the trailer to thus prove the theory that she has tracker? I think some guys did. There was a car that okay. she thought was suspicious. I'm like, otherwise, that is a weird just, yeah, I just watched her and I knew I had to suddenly start carving her arm out. It was in her hip. Oh, but yeah. Whoops. Wrong body part. He had more evidence than just that because there was the guys at the gas station in Mexico. Yeah. And then there was the fact that Izel was already on her way to the hotel where they were staying during that first meetup. Yes. She got there too quickly to have not known. And now there's this evidence where he left her out as, quote, bait <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. He wants to make sure that she's not calling Javier Stockholm Syndrome. Or, you know, he's just he's making sure like yeah. it's a tracker and she's not actually contacting him, right? Which it makes sense if nefarious dudes show up at the trailer. Victor, at this point, has kind of developed a bit of a savior complex, I think, regarding Sarai. He sees a lot of young him in her, and he feels like (laughs) it's possibly not too late for her to go on and live a normal life. (gasps) Why are you hyperventilating? (laughs) You're probably going to want to cut this out when you're like, he sees a lot of young him. And I was like, yeah, and he wants to see some old him in her, too. Oh, ew. (laughs) I know. I'm not proud of it. I don't know if he's at that point yet. Um, (laughs) You told me we had to be fast. Stop doing that to me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He's analyzing Sarai's psyche a lot. Oh, she still could turn back from this life at this point. And during different parts of the story, it's like she's reached different milestones where she is less likely to turn back from it now or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's really bizarre. I don't know. I don't get his rubric. But anyway, apparently there's this series of goalposts that Sarai must achieve to (laughs) become a true assassin and Victor is trying to impede her progress. Sarai's like checking the boxes as she goes, though. Yeah, they seem arbitrary to me, but yeah. And I'm mixing my metaphors, but it's cool. It's okay. I approve, if that means anything. Victor feels like he's going to kill Javier, and then he's going to somehow set Sarai up to succeed at a normal life. He's not sure how that's going to happen. And then there's the whole fact that he belongs to this order that would expect him to have killed Sarai at this point. And his brother Nicholas is kind of thinking he's being crazy. They go to a safe house that is operated by the Order. And it's a safe house that Victor used to use all the time and then he stopped using. 
He apparently had a sexual relationship with the woman who runs the house for some period of time, but no longer. This woman seems to be one of the only people he trusts, aside from his brother. He tells Sarai, I'm going to leave you here until I kill Javier, and then I'll come back and get you, and then I'll set you up wherever you want to be. And he untrusts Sarai with this woman and leaves. I'm not even sure how Javier finds Sarai at this point. I thought the woman must have told him. Because, again, how else would he have known? But then she hides Sarai. I'm not saying it makes sense. But that was my working theory. Yeah. Because unless he told Nicholas, which I don't think he did. He had told Nicholas he was going to kill her or something. Or Nicholas has a tracking device on him and can tell or something then the woman must have told and then wanted to back out of the deal. I don't know. Somehow Javier finds out that Sarai is at the safe house. The woman hides Sarai in this weird basement thing and then tries to convince Javier that Sarai isn't there, that she left with Victor. Javier thinks Sarai is hiding somewhere and to provoke her to come out says on the sixth shot I'm gonna shoot her. Sarai comes out of hiding after five shots to find out he actually killed the woman with the fifth shot and saved the sixth one for Sarai because how could Sarai leave him like that? (laughs) But I was so kind to you. There's this really nasty scene where he like touches her and like, are you still only mine? And oh, yeah, gross. And even then we get like this weird rationalization in Sarai's head where she's kind of reassuring herself that it's just her body. Her body was trained to react to him or else she wouldn't be able to survive. Yeah, she's disassociating for survival and making rationalizations and all that good stuff. It's fucked up, but I do appreciate that the author put little snippets of this here and there in the book because it shows a little bit more how abused Sarai was. And I think that otherwise it would have been kind of easy to forget because the way she acts is very... This doesn't affect me. Yeah. Brave front. Yeah, she compartmentalizes all that. That's all hidden in a box in the back of her mind. Yeah, we get a glimpse of her coping mechanisms. I think it was good to include in the story, even though it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. Sarai ends up killing Javier. She ends up surprising him and shooting him and killing him, which is one of those hidden goalposts that Victor has. That only he knows about. (laughs) Victor comes back and decides he's going to take her to his home on the New England coast. And they take a plane there. Victor is also confused. How did Javier find out? Mm-hmm. And Sarai says it had to have been Nicholas because Nicholas hates me. And he decides to test her theory. And so he calls Nicholas and tells him, he tells Nicholas that he had killed their father. And that's why he'd been acting different ever since this other assignment that he had or something. He threatens to kill Nicholas at that point. But Nicholas starts telling him stuff and Sarai comes out and says, I can tell he's telling the truth. And so Victor doesn't kill Nicholas. Yeah. Ah, whatever. very weird. I don't get it. I'm a human lie detector, believe me. Meanwhile, Sarai wants to now be an assassin. She wants to be Victor's little assistant. Well, of course. Wait a sec. I thought that... Are there two tracking devices? Hold on. I'm going back. I could have sworn there was a tracking device earlier. Oh my god. So they don't figure it out for all that time? I thought he had. Well. No, that whole scene was about him getting shot, dude. So he didn't figure it out until that point. Wow. 
So the whole thing with the tracking device, like he thought there was a tracking device, but they didn't take care of it until this point. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, well, that's great. I can't fix it. If you read this book and you were shouting at at us because I was getting it wrong, sorry. I don't have notes. And I apparently didn't remember. Whoops. (laughs) But anyways, yeah, the tracking device is now handled at this point. (laughs) Fucking finally. (laughs) Maybe he wanted more baddies to come out of the woodwork? With Javier dead, why would they care? Would it be the brother? No, the tracking device is like really high tech. And so they figure, well, Javier's operation must be a lot bigger than they initially thought. Sarai has the tracking device removed. Victor's like, you could never be like me. You're not a murderer, even though you killed Javier. Despite the fact that you have murdered. And then we get the uncomfortable interlude where it's the middle of the night and Sarai sneaks into Victor's room and says she wants to have sex with him. And she like climbs on top of him and I just want to be with someone that I pick just for once. I want to know what it feels like to be in control. And he just like lays there and lets her dry hump on him or something. And then she starts hitting him because she's getting flashbacks and then she starts crying Then they go to sleep. It was a really uncomfortable scene. But again, I kind of feel like the author needed to include that to make Sarai's experience seem more genuine. Because again, outwardly, she does not emote typically. So for her to have this breakdown where she's opening herself up to Victor, even though she beats on him and whatnot, wants to use him sexually, really what she's doing is acting out her past and trying to flip it. Yeah. And Victor realizes it. I think that's why he just rolls with it. Yeah, no, I think it was important to include. Okay, so Victor decides he's going to take her on one mission and basically prove to her that she does not want this life. So he gives her a fake ID. Her name is now Isabel. This thing is funny. It's like, I want to make sure they don't smoke by making them smoke. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They'll never like it if they have a taste of it. Yep, yep. So she's supposed to be like this really rich, snobby woman who is only submissive to his character. It's really important that they have these certain roles in order to be able to get into the area they need to get into in order to perpetrate their hit. To get the guy to notice that they need to get to notice them. And they do this whole dance. They play act at this restaurant that the guy owns. Victor is aware due to his intel that there are listening devices at all these tables. So it's important that they act like they're being listened to at all times. Sarai does a really good job at falling into this role. I think she enjoys it a bit because she gets to dissociate and pretend she's not herself Mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. (laughs) So she's kind of a natural, at least at that aspect of it. (laughs) She's like, oh, not my life. Yes, please. Yeah. So so they succeed. They get invited to Arthur Hamburg's estate. He's having a special party for special people. And they get invited to go because they were special. Mm-hmm. Before the party, there's another thing where Nicholas is trying to convince Victor, let me kill Sarai for you since you can't. I'll do this for you to help you, brother. <laughs> and Victor's like, no, I need to do it myself after this mission. Or I'll let the mission kill her. Ah, warm fuzzies. So again, before the party... We have a, I don't know, romance building scene, I guess. 
Sarai and Victor talk to each other. They both admit to themselves that they have... The feels. They don't know if it's love or lust or something. They feel like it's something bigger than that because they're trauma bonded now. That's what it is, I think. Yeah. Trauma bond. That's what they have. I agree. Wholeheartedly. (laughs) Okay, they go to the party. They get approached by Hamburg. Hamburg says, oh, hey, would you like to meet with me to make a deal later and victor playing his role of course agrees they go to the meeting with hamburg it's of course a gross sex thing hamburg likes to watch powerful men hurt women what a prince and then involve himself he wants to blow victor after victor hurts sarai like that's (laughs) basically his whole (sighs) and then he shows them his wife who he hooked on drugs and keeps in a dungeon in his closet or something. (laughs) Originally, I guess the wife was in on it. Yeah, because he's a human sex trafficker, right? Like, that's Hammy's deal. Yeah. But the wife was in on it, and then she decided she didn't want to be in on it anymore. Because she developed a conscience or something. Yeah, so she tried to get out of it. So he hooked her on heroin or cocaine or something and trapped her so that she couldn't reveal the whole thing. But the wife somehow ordered a hit on herself. And Sarai is the one who kills her because that's like her test that she can do this mission. I think that's what it was. I think Sarai in the beginning, like she didn't understand that the wife was complicit in the trafficking. So at first she's like, oh, this poor wife, we have to save her. And then I was like, oh, okay. And the lesson being, like, it doesn't matter who they are. You have to do the job. You can assume that they're bad, but regardless of what you think of them, the job is the job. And not only that, but Victor kind of lets Sarai know, the less you know about these people, the better off you'll be. You know, you just go out there and do the job. And don't put yourself in their shoes whatsoever. And Sarai, I think, makes that mistake initially with the wife. Yes. Probably because it's very similar to her plight initially in the story. Yeah, and I mean, you ideally would assume that the wife is the victim, which she does get victimized, but... (laughs) She is a victim, but she's also a perpetrator. Her hands are not clean. And she ordered her own hit. She wanted to die, so... I guess Sarai shouldn't feel guilty. Yeah, she didn't want to be periodically paraded around by her husband. See, she just, she has cancer. She's not dead or anything. Nothing to see here. This is fine. Yeah, that's what it was. Go about your life. (laughs) So Victor drops Sarai off. They make this deal. You can't go with me anywhere because I can't protect you. But I'll come visit you sometimes. Want to be my kept woman? And then Nicholas shows up. He's going to kill Sarai because... Brotherly love. Yeah, she's the whole reason that Victor is potentially in trouble with the Order, which we don't even know at this point. Presumably they deal with this in the next book. Yes, bros must be bonded together. The female is bad. (laughs) Sorry, I'm in a mood. He stabs Sarai. Sarai is dying... Victor arrives just in time. He's going to kill Nicholas. 
Sarai convinces him not to because he's your family. You can't kill your family. Uh, He already has once. (laughs) Clearly he can. Sarai gets taken to the hospital. She gets better, but Victor gives her a present with her real documents. And he found Mrs. Gregory. So now Sarai has a person. She's not all alone. And then Victor's like, okay, well, bye. (laughs) Sarai goes off and starts rebuilding her life. She moves in with Mrs. Gregory. She gets a job. She's going to school. Six months have passed. She has a giant bank account because Victor gave her a shit ton of money. And then she decides at the end of the book, she's going to go find him. The end. So... This isn't a happily ever after or even a happily for now. This is the middle of a story. It is a series. A to be continued. If we had known it ended on a cliffhanger, we might not have done it for the podcast. But here we are. (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny because the other dark romance we read also was a trilogy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, um, Em, how is the audiobook? Well, the... Narrators of the audiobook were Kate Rendiers and Stephen Bell Davies. If you're going to do the audiobook, a word of warning, the casting that was done made Sarai's narrator sound quite young. And Bell Davies, who narrates Victor, he sounded quite a bit older along the paternal lines. So if that's not your thing, or if you're sensitive to that, you may want to not do the audiobook. <laughs> With that said, you know, I, I do feel like Reindeers did a skillful job. With all of that considered, Bell Davies, he definitely delivered a performance that would be very Victor-like. Very unemotional, very blank voice. I don't know what. Which is in keeping with the character. I think that gets tricky because you don't see a lot of growth out of Victor, but then you don't (laughs) in the story. So it it keeps with that. Perhaps that was exactly what the author or publisher or whoever did the casting. Perhaps that was in line with their intent, in which case, good job. But if it's not your thing, you are warned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Well, are you happy for their happy, Em? Are they happy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at best i am meh <laughs> you're meh for they're happy <laughs> i just <laughs> yeah i just didn't care <laughs> i i just wanted it to be done and when it was done i was happy so i was happy for me once it was over but i wouldn't say that i was happy for them <laughs> you had yes. your own happy ending <laughs> what about you <laughs> Well, I, yeah, there really wasn't a happy to be had, I think, because the story's not over. So it's hard to say. I feel like there wasn't a lot of focus on their relationship in this story. Um, There was a bit. And I think it's fair that the author has been slowly building it. Presumably they continue on in the next book. Yeah. I think that the parts we got were good. I think they were in line with the characters, and I think it showed some slight growing toward each other type of thing. But when you have a situation like this that is so dark, and it's obviously, oh, they're trauma bonded, it's not necessarily love or whatever, it's really difficult to be happy. Yeah. 
Although, I guess I'm happy they found each other. They can be two lost souls together instead of alone. Maybe that's the happy to be found. Maybe, yeah. But we don't know, because at the end of this book, they're apart. So, at the end of this book, there is no happy. (laughs) Zero happy. (laughs) On that note, let's rate them. Okay. How do you rate Victor? (sighs) Okay, so what I wrote was, he's awful to awkward. Like, he improves, because I'm just, I'm not sure how to rate him. I think that he's such a concrete shell of a human being that... I don't root for him when he's trying to be good. He's awkward at best because of the way he was socialized, but he's written in a way that he's not endeared to me in any sort of way. Honestly, if at the end of that story, Sarai would killed him, I would have been fine. He kind of gets less awful, but I don't know if he's awful or if he's just a robot person. What are your thoughts? I rated Victor awkward. Okay. I agree with you that he's kind of a robot person. I think that initially in the book, where we only get the perspective from Sarai, it made a lot of sense for him to be interpreted that way by her, especially. I think that where the awkwardness in the writing really shows is when we're in Victor's head, because it kind of stays at that level, and there's no growth even in his own mind. Yeah. I think with his actions, there's maybe some growth shown for his character. But as far as how he thinks or how he tells the story when it's a Victor chapter, it doesn't really show. It doesn't shine. And I think that's to the detriment of the story because ideally you want your character to change, especially when they start off at the level that Victor started off at, where he's a hired assassin who does nothing else. Like, that's his life, and that's it. He doesn't have a personal life. It's not even that. It's just because his emotions are not there. Right. He's so closed off. He's he's a human robot. Yeah, you can have an assassin character that still has some amount of emotion, and therefore there's something to latch on to. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe from Sarai's perspective, it's like, well, I prefer this cold slab to the fiery temperament of Javier. I don't even, I mean, because it's not like she had a choice with Javier. There's an element of it where I feel like it's about control for Victor. He's a very controlled character. And when Sarai is inserted into his life, his life is not controlled the way he keeps it. And he lets her stay, so he has this uncontrolled element in his otherwise controlled existence. And I would have liked to have seen a bit more about him dealing with that aspect of it, at least in his chapters. And I don't think we really get a whole lot of that. Yeah, and have some of that be a conscious choice, because like you were saying, it's like, well, in his actions, there's change, but not in his head. So... To me, I interpret that as he's making unconscious choices to change. But because it's not conscious, or he's not cognizant of those choices, how much ownership does he have of that? And how much, quote unquote, credit does he get for that? Yeah, I agree with you. It's along similar lines of if you're asking someone how they're doing, is it because you really care? Or is it just a reflex? 
You do get some interesting little bits here and there, like the tension between Victor and Nicholas, Mm -hmm. for example, where Nicholas is obviously jealous of Victor's position in the order and doesn't understand why Victor isn't more grateful because Nicholas would have been. There's definitely been some underlying tension between those characters before the story begins. Victor obviously cares about his brother. He just doesn't interact with his emotions really in the story at all i think at least toward the end of the story when he and sarai are talking about how they feel about each other that would have been a good thing to have in the story (laughs) like i think that would have been a good thing to include characters like victor that are so emotionally closed off it lets any other character the heroine in this case sarai see whatever she wants. Yeah. So she can interpret that expression. Like she asks him, how's the weather out there? And he just gives her a blank face. She can interpret that as, oh, the weather is fine or, oh, the weather isn't. But he's not, he's not contributing anything. Right. Or even the scene where she, quote, uses him to enact some revenge fantasy against Javier. And Victor lets her. But in his mind, there's no emotion there for him. In his mind, he's very clinical about his observations. Well, this is why she's doing that, and I'll let her. Yeah. How do you rate Sarai? I put her as awkward. I didn't connect, really. Even if Victor decided to kill her at the end, I wouldn't have cared. That may make me a horrible reader. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she was clearly going through stuff. I just, I don't know. And maybe because the story ended where it did, like, I didn't see enough growth. She was all of the emotions, and you did see instances where she's dealing with it, but otherwise she's fine. I don't know. I I just, I didn't, I didn't feel connected. What about you? I rated her awesome. There were a lot of things about her that were awkward. Like you said, I don't think she experienced a whole lot of growth. I think the story was really about her escape. And presumably in following books, she will experience more of a character arc. We do get a bit toward the end where she's working on herself, but it's always with an eye toward wanting to be back together with Victor, wanting to be back yeah. in that life. So she's she's not going to socialize. She's not going to integrate into, quote, normal society. She still is an outsider and feels like an outsider and doesn't intend to not feel like an outsider. I think the parts where she really shone as a character were those parts where she kind of experienced little breakdowns, little mini moments where she's trying to figure out what happened to her, rationalize it or deal with it or somehow Mm -hmm. manage it in some way. And I really, really enjoyed how that manifests in her alternate identity, Mm. Isabel, during that whole part of the story, how she engages with that character that she creates in her mind and she even thinks of it that way like she starts creating like backstory for this character and everything she's seeing it as like living this alternate life while she's doing that and i thought that was a really interesting and awesome part of sarai's character i also feel like sarai was very strong yeah she had a goal i'm gonna get out i'm gonna escape and she achieved that She even ended up killing her captor, which 
I have mixed feelings about, but ultimately it's good because he's not going to be able to come after her anymore. (laughs) And he raped her since at least 18, hopefully not 14. Yeah, the author kind of dances around that subject. It's not explicitly said at what point her relationship with Javier turned sexual. Do you think scenes like her trying to fit into normal society but not finding a place in it would have helped? Possibly. I mean, the author did do a little bit of that with that part at the end, but it didn't go into too much detail. I think maybe if there had been a little bit more there, it might have made more sense for her to want to go back to the other life. But I think also... Ultimately, for Sarai, like for Victor, it's about control. She has never had control. And being told that she needs to integrate into society is, again, her not having control. Mm -hmm. She doesn't see it that way. She sees that as another choice that she wasn't allowed to make. Victor made that choice for her. And so I think her wanting to go back to that life is really about grabbing control. I think we needed some more about that. Yeah, I agree. I think more of that would have been helpful. Because for Sarai, I don't think at any point it's about integrating or becoming, quote, normal again. It's about escaping and having control over her life. And that's where the story ends on that kind of hopeful note where she's going to go back and find Victor because she's making a choice for herself. And it's like Gone with the Wind. It's like, oh, Charlotte's going to go after Rhett. And I mean, whether or not we're happy that she's making that choice, ultimately, it's her choice to make. Yeah. No, I'm glad she had the agency. And it wasn't like he was holding on to her so tightly that you have to stay with me. Yeah, and he wants her to have those choices, too. That's the thing with him. While he chooses for her, like, yes, you have to go integrate because what else are you going to do? I'm leaving. Bye. He thinks he's helping her. You don't want to be a part of this murderous world. Yeah, he's not trying to take her choices away. He's trying to say, here, go make your choices in this safe area over here. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he even gives her, like, a shit ton of money so she can. But yeah, it's about her getting her agency back, and she does. So that's the part that's awesome. Yes, I I agree with you (laughs) that that part is good. How did you feel about the antagonists slash villains in the story, Em? So I put Javier, his sister, Nicholas. I felt they were effective, generally. I think there were elements that were confusing for me, so that may have made them feel less effective at times. What was confusing? I legitimately don't understand, like, okay, so it was Javier's people that came after her again, and then they finally took the thing out of her hip. Yeah. But why would Javier's people care? I guess that's supposed to allude to the rest of the series. Yeah, because they figure out that Javier's business is bigger than they imagined because of the technology. So they're worried there's a bigger shark up the chain. Yeah, I I guess it's fine. I guess the thing is, is I just... I wasn't very invested with the story, so I'm meh in the general direction of the baddies. They're fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. I wasn't scared of them or anything. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit exasperating at times, but what about you? So I also put Javier and Izel and the other associated goons in Mexico. I feel like they were awkward. Um, not necessarily the most effective baddies. I think maybe mm. Izal was the most effective out of them. I think for Javier, 
unfortunately, because we didn't get a whole lot of what life was like for Sarai with Javier, and I don't necessarily blame the author for choosing not to write those scenes. I think that a scene between him and Sarai before she initially escapes would have helped a lot to cement his character as this evil, horrible drug lord slash sex trafficker guy Mm -hmm. that he's meant to be. He does seem kind of crazed toward the end of the story. You don't really know what love means to him. He feels betrayed by Sarai because she escapes, so he plans to kill her. We don't know where his normal is. Like, is crazed his normal? As dangerous as he seems at that point, I just don't feel invested. So I don't think he's a very effective villain. For Izel, though, I feel like she is much more effective because you get a lot more about her motivations, why she acts the way she does. She has limited power in that circle. So she wields the power she has severely. And it's interesting to have a female baddie when you're talking about trafficking women. Yeah. It's not often allowed, which in real life is not true. But in fiction, yeah, it's usually only the domain of men, so to speak. I thought it was interesting. I I appreciated her character as distasteful as she was. The other goons were eh, they were just goons. As far as Nicholas goes, I struggled with him as well. I rate him awkward as an antagonist because I wanted more. He just comes off really obsessive about Victor's position in the order and jealous, which I guess he was, but he also seems a bit unhinged and I'm not sure why. You can guess why, you know, he was groomed from the age of seven to be part of this order of assassins. But what I mean is like the more unhingedness, the level he gets to in the story where he's going to kill Sarai to protect his brother, that type of thing. There's no like, why? Yeah. Why is he so a devout person of the order? Because he really, I mean, Victor's always number one and Nicholas was then always relegated to number two. But is his wanting to kill Sarai to protect the order? Because I don't See it as wanting to protect... It's to protect Victor. That's what he says. I don't believe him. Which is fine. Like, you can have, (laughs) like, unreliable narrators, and you can have, I guess, characters that don't always understand why they do the things they do. But, I mean, I thought Nicholas was way more pro-order. The only way that makes sense to me is if, because he accepts his number two position and realizes that the best thing for the order is Victor, ergo... He's got to protect Victor. I guess I don't feel the brotherly love. So that just makes more sense to me. Well, it's hard to feel the brotherly love when you have Victor on one hand consistently shutting Nicholas out. And Nicholas is banging on that door going, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. Which why? Victor's like, no. Is it because they were always just in competition? And so it's a preservation thing because he already had to kill his dad. So if he has to one day kill Nicholas, he doesn't want to get too attached. I interpret it as protective toward Mm. Nicholas. Okay. That's how his protectiveness manifests. That's true. That's how it manifests with Sarai. Also, of course, Sarai's (laughs) mother gets an honorable Uh, mention. I think she was effective in as much as she was part of the story. And then I know we don't do this, and typically I never do this, but I put Victor also. (gasps) 
Interesting. <laughs> Do you explain? Yeah. I felt he was my antagonist because because <laughs> I needed more. I I didn't get to crack that. Well, you can continue with the story and see if he gets cracked open. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of stories, how did you rate the book, Em? I gave it a one. Oh. <laughs> Do tell. I was just not invested. I was just really looking forward to it ending, so I'm glad that it did. Was it just the subject matter being not your thing? Partly the subject matter, partly just the story. I'm not going to lie, the narration elements probably factored into that. Yeah. I was really quick to be like, okay, how much longer do we have to go? How many hours of this is this? Usually not a good sign. No. I appreciate the things that were in it that were successful for the story, the good things that were included. But if we're talking strictly enjoyment, yeah, one. Yeah. What about you? What did you rate it? (laughs) It's bound to be higher than mine. I gave it a three. I thought it was an engaging story. I enjoyed reading it. I mean, it's really dark, but I didn't mind that. I think I rated it lower because I was viewing it through the romance Mm -hmm. lens. It is a dark romance, but it is the first book in a series, so you don't get a whole lot of the romancy element of it. I think that it could have been rated higher if it had a little bit more characterization of Victor, especially, but also Sarai, um, a little bit more growth between them. If we had a little bit more to go on as to why they feel drawn to each other and have them acknowledge that, at least to themselves, a little bit more, that would have improved the story a lot. I think some more scenes initially, maybe in a prologue or something, with Sarai and Javier would have made him a better bad guy, made the situation feel more visceral and dire. Because while a lot of horrible things happen, it was hard for me to engage with it. Like, I didn't really feel hurt by it. Yeah, that makes sense. I Honestly, I felt kind of dissociated from it, like Sarai and Victor do. So, I don't know if that was the author's intent, but that's not really what I wanted out of it. I wanted to feel the gritty. Yeah. It was well written. It was a good story, and it had good pacing. It was easy to read. I read it in one sitting, so I rated it a three. Yay! Well, Erica, did you feel romanced? <laughs> no, I did not, because there was none. <laughs> did you feel romanced, Em? No, absolutely not. <laughs> what would have made it more romancy for you? I think things that would have helped me actually feel romanced, potentially, if I felt any kinship with the characters, I felt anything. I didn't feel anything yeah so lack of engagement and this will be different for everybody of course but i don't tend to feel romanced by stories where there is such a significant age difference which i don't know if that was intended because we don't really know victor's age but based on what it felt like to me with the audio that didn't really help Sarai, I think, estimates he's in his 30s, so you could at least intuit a 10-year age gap. And sometimes that's fine. Sometimes it just really isn't. It depends on the subject matter, and it depends on how the characters treat each other. And I completely agree with you that it is trauma bond 
versus romance. Yeah. And the age gap in this story, I think, is significant because Sarai never got to experience being an adult. She never really, I mean, she had her childhood cut off, so she didn't finish being a kid to a certain degree because 14 is young. Yeah. So she never grew up, at least in any normal way. I think that's why for for me at the end where it was like for a little bit she tried to engage with quote unquote normal society and then noped out. Was it a choice? You know, like she she definitely was given her agency, but I wonder how much choice she had. And I guess I would have liked to see her, I don't know, freaking get some counseling or something. But of course, if she got counseling, then maybe she wouldn't want to go be a killer, (laughs) which makes sense. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I found the end very unsatisfying and not just because the lovers, quote unquote, didn't get together. In M's alternate reality storyline, Sarai gets Victor out and they go to counseling together and get better. (laughs) I I don't know what honestly would have helped because I think pretty early on in the story for me, I noped out. (laughs) It was just a pair of ears. Yeah, no. Clearly, there's a story for every listener, reader, fill in the blank. Yeah. This is just not mine. (laughs) Every book, it's reader. It just wasn't you. (laughs) And that's fair. (laughs) It's rated pretty highly by other people who clearly felt different. And that's perfectly fine. And you have to keep in mind, too, that it's a dark romance. So if you're not into taking a walk on the dark side for a while, then that's going to impact your enjoyment too. Not necessarily you, but in general. It's it's one of those things like I'd like to find a dark romance that I engage with, but most of them I don't. It's difficult because often the heroine is so beaten down. Yeah. Or they're scrappy. They're the scrappy heroine. Which in a situation like that, I mean, yes, of course you want the heroine to quote unquote, put up a fight to not accept that crap reality. But just being scrappy isn't character development in and of itself. That's why I think sometimes those stories have a harder time for me to latch on to, even though I would like to. Especially, oh, they're they're feisty. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I need more. Well, it's like, oh, they're the hero's little pet chihuahua. Yeah. I mean, I'm a hard sell in general. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little. A little bit. Maybe a little bit. What else have you been reading? I finished another Penny Read book, Dating-ish. Yay! We have Marie has been unlucky at love, and the luck doesn't seem to be improving when she agrees to a blind date. The date, being a fellow <laughs> named Matt, he's there under a different name for reasons, and he turns out to be a member of her social group. Which, of course, yay awkward, because she can't escape him. <laughs> and the awkwardness of the blind date, <laughs> which she was like, peace, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> Penny Reed is awesome. I really like her stories. <laughs> I really liked that one. I really enjoyed the relationship with Marie and Matt and how that developed. What about you? What have you been reading? So I recently finished a book called The Violence by Delilah S. Dawson. And I want to give a content warning for abusive relationships. Oh, okay. This book is amazing. It is like a thriller, drama, suspense type book. 
It takes place post-COVID, and there's a new pandemic called The Violence, which when you get infected with it, you can get triggered to basically turn into like a mindless killing machine. and Like Terminators? No, like a zombie. Oh. And it continues until you kill somebody, and then it switches off, and you don't remember (gasps) any of it. It's like you blacked out. That's shitty, but interesting. It follows three women, the mother, and then her mother, and her oldest daughter. And we have intergenerational abuse. Mm -hmm. So the mother had kind of an abusive situation at home, and she turned into an abuser to her Mm -hmm. daughter. Her daughter then married an abuser to escape her mother, and now the daughter is dating an abusive guy. Mm. And if you've experienced any sort of abuse in your lifetime, it will feel very real to you. I found certain scenes triggering personally, Mm. but good. And in the author's note, she states that part of writing this book was her working through her own personal abuse story. Oh, okay. So it does come off very authentic. But at any rate, the mother uses the violence to escape from her abuser. Okay. Each of the women ends up getting separated and they have to find their way back to each other. And they're dealing with abuse and also dealing with this scary disease. And it's just really, really, really fucking good. Like, I don't want to say too much more because it's so freaking good. Uh, I'm... (laughs) I'm really interested. I don't think I can I don't think I could read that right now. But <laughs> I'm very interested. Yeah, wait till you're in a cozy mental space and then engage because there are scenes that are very intense. Yeah, I don't feel like I could engage with that right now. My mental space is not cozy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it it is very very well written, very genuine as far as the way it approaches the subject matter of abuse and the pandemic of the violence is also extremely scary. Although the ending is hopeful. So oh, we have a a good ending. Good. So it's okay, guys. Things will work out somehow. Okay. Well, I'm glad it has a hopeful ending. Yeah, we can talk more about it off the air if you want to hear more but yeah it's so fucking good i was oh (laughs) so good yay i rated it a five i would have rated it a ten (laughs) that's it for this time check out our website romancebepodcast.com for show notes other episodes and our upcoming reads don't forget you can subscribe on apple google amazon or spotify or come find us on twitter at romancebecast speaking of twitter were you romanced by sarai and victor's story let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time. We discuss Roommate by Soraya Wilson. Which will hopefully be happier. It's almost proud of me. <laughs> Bye! Bye. <laughs> be kind of hard not to be happier, honestly. Yeah, that was rough. I wish I enjoyed it more. But I didn't, and I don't want to lie. We don't like liars on this podcast. <laughs>